In Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us about the war that raged within him. And because of his shocking honesty, we find answers to two questions. What's my problem? And what can I do about it? When he talks about the problem, Paul talks about um, the fact that his desires are irreconcilable. But he says, says, what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I think you'd agree with me. If Paul makes these statements, he puts these words in our mouths. It can't be true of him and not true of us. It might not seem as severe to us, but that's probably because we don't take the law as in as seriously as he did. If this is Paul's condition, it is our spiritual condition as well. The thing that we've talked about that's strange about this is that Paul doesn't blame anyone. He doesn't blame himself. He doesn't. He seems to be observing the things that are true about himself. When we say things like this, what I want to do, I do not do because I'm bad. We usually qualify it with something. We usually blame ourselves or blame somebody else. And Paul doesn't do that. In fact, he blames his spiritual condition on sin living within him. We've looked at the verse. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. And as we've described, sin can be an act or a power. When Paul talks about sin here, you might think of it as sin with a capital S, not an act, but a power, something that influences us to do what it wants us to do. If sin is living within, then sin isn't living in me because I do bad things, think bad things, or want bad things. Rather, I want bad things, do bad things, and think bad things because sin is living in me. Because sin is living in me, I am indwelt by disparate desires that go in different directions. And this leads Paul to cry out to God. And this is what he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The word wretched is a word that we've got to understand. The word wretched means to be distressed, to be afflicted with troubles. It's an observation, not a condemnation. When think think of wretched, we think of something bad. It's not, Paul isn't talking about being bad. It's about being exhausted. Wretchedness is a burden born to the point of exhaustion, which leads to our understanding of our third problem, that I am weary of living with the war within. I'm weary of the war within. Well, Paul would suggest our struggle is not external, it's internal. We might have issues with people that create frustrations in us. We might have issues with family members or with our boss or with our government. 
We might point, and there are things that cause us to react, but what Paul is suggesting, our real issue, our real frustration, is not from what is outside of us. What Paul is indicating, it's from what is inside of us. It's the war that ravages or rages within us. And because that war is what it is, because my desires are irreconcilable and sin is living in me, I can't have what I want to have. I can't do what I want to do. I can't think what I want to think, and I can't feel what I want to feel. And this doesn't mean, as we've been saying, this doesn't mean that I can never have anything that I want. It doesn't mean that I'm always in a state of not having things that I want. But from an absolute perspective, if I want this and that, and this and that are not the same, I can't have what I want. If I want to do this, and I want to do that, and this and that don't agree, then I can't do what I want. The same thing with what I think. If I want to think these thoughts, but I also want to think those thoughts, I can't think what I want to think. I can't feel what I want to feel. I can't have what I want to have. I can't do what I want to do. That's what Paul suggests. And he cries out to God, and God answers Paul's cry. I want you to notice how God answers it. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body of death. And he says, thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature or the flesh, a slave to the law of sin. Now God answers, but Paul still obeys two laws. He obeys the law of sin and the law of God. God answers, but Paul is still a slave to two masters, God and sin. What seems to be the case, the resolution doesn't solve the problem. God's solution leaves the tension in place. And that's important for us to understand, because if God is going to remove the tension, that's one thing. But if God's intent is not to remove the tension, that's another. And we've got to be clear about that. From this, is it true that God does or doesn't want to remove the tension? Doesn't seem to remove it in Paul's mind, which leads to the fourth problem. I need to live with the war within. I need to live with the war within because God's purpose is not to remove it. God does not want to remove, and we've got to understand why in the world would he not want to remove it, but let's just agree, it seems, that that seems to be what it suggests. God wants me to live with the war within. Um, it says, Paul writes, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. It's a little bit confusing. Who sold Paul into slavery? Did he sell himself into slavery? Don't know if that works. A slave can't, you can't sell yourself into slavery. Who sold Paul into slavery? It would have to be God. And that leads to question, why would God do something like that? 
logic question, why would God not merely tolerate, but actually precipitate the war within? What possible purpose could there be? What we saw is that I need to live with the war within because of two points. The war within can make me humble. And being humble will make me useful. It is true. Being humble will make us useful. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Being humble will make us useful. And the war within can make us humble. It doesn't always, but it can make us humble. It all depends if we see it as somebody's fault. If we recognize that the war within is something that shouldn't happen, we're going to blame somebody, and it's not going to make us humble. If we understand, it's really not anybody's fault. I have different desires inside, and they pull me in, and so that can make us humble. Look what it says in James, what causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He makes the same point that Paul does. Our pleasures battle within us. You want something, but don't get it. You want something, but don't get it. And you kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Again, we've looked at this verse, but it starts with a question. Uh, What causes fights and quarrels among us? What causes fights and quarrels? And Paul's answer is, they come from our pleasures that war within us. The conflict between us comes from the war within us. I want something and don't get it. And that makes me frustrated. I want what I want. And if I don't get what I want, I'm going to blame somebody. I'm going to blame myself. I'm going to blame you. I kill and covet. I can't have what I want. You quarrel and fight. That's where... That's where fights come from. It doesn't come from what happens between us. It comes from what happens within us. We have different desires, and it frustrates us when we can't get what we want. I've said this before. The worst thing I do is dealing with me when me doesn't get what me wants. It says, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? We have a hardwired need to blame somebody when we don't get what we want. He says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now we're going to talk about a solution to what can we do about it, about this problem that our desires are irreconcilable. Sin is living within me. I am weary of the war within I need to live with the war within. Before we consider the solution, we have to come to the grips with the fact, and this is it. God is not going to give us the resources to eliminate the war within. He's going to give the resources to endure it. Whatever we do, whatever things we try to grasp in terms of the resources God gives us, It's not going to stop the war within. That's non-negotiable. It will help us to endure it. Because sometimes if we have a spiritual solution and we try it, like prayer or serving, and if it doesn't remove the bad feelings we have inside, we think something's broken. 
Like, like if this works, and if this works, then all my tension should be removed. That's not going to happen. The tension within is not going to go away until we hit the other side and we are immortal spirits in immortal bodies. Then the tension will be eliminated. But this side of that, for now, the tension's not going anywhere. Um, the solution God gives us allow us to endure the war within, not eliminate it. Um, because the war within can make me humble, and being humble can make me useful. So what do we do about this? What can we do about the war within? I need to live by the Spirit to live with the war within. I need to live by the Spirit to live with the war within. That's what Paul says. He says, So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does it suggest? The righteous requirements of the law can be met by those who, as it says, live, walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's the question. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Would you agree that's an important question? We have this tension created by disparate desires. The only way we're going to be able to deal with this is to live by the Spirit. And so let's try to understand what it means. And Paul has already talked about it. Um, says, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore, bore fruit for death. And what we've seen, the law of Moses, the old covenant, actually stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. It, the sinful passions are aroused by the law, but look what it says. Um, when we were controlled by the, by the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death by now, by dying to what once bound us. We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So here's what we learn about the Spirit. The, the new way of the Spirit is contrasted with the old way of the written code. And it's important that we understand what it means to live by the Spirit, because if we can be clear about this, we can be clear about the solution. So the first thing Paul tells us, as far as what is this being living by the Spirit, living with the Spirit is not living under the old covenant. It's because that's the written code. That's what he suggests. Um, the influence of the Spirit is con with the influence of the written code to live by the Spirit, as we'll see, is to live in the light of the new covenant. And we find this elsewhere, but this is really important to understand because this is the only solution to live and endure the war within without it going in a direction we don't want to go. It's to live by the Spirit, and to live by the Spirit is to live in the light of the new covenant. Look what it says. Paul writes, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, 
but the Spirit gives life. The letter of the law demands things. In fact, I've heard it said this way, do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A different word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. The law tells us to do things, but it doesn't give us the ability to do them. That's what Paul is indicating. So the solution to being under the law, living by the law, is to live by the, the Spirit. Um, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious. It seemed to be really clear. To live by the Spirit is to live in the light of the new covenant. That's contrasted with living by the letter or living by the written code, which is living under the old covenant. What can I do about it then? I need to live by the Spirit to live with the war within. And to live by the Spirit is to live in the light of the new covenant. This is Paul's solution. This is what he tells us. This is the way to manage the war within. Uh, to live by the Spirit is to live in the light of no condemnation that the, new, that the new covenant commands us to believe. There's an article I've included. I'm going to read it through. So if you want to follow along, it's about, it's from the Vase for Grace. And I'll just read it. How does the Spirit of God transform our lives? Second Corinthians 3, it says, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The veil that Moses wore kept the Israelites from seeing the fading glory of the Old Covenant. With the veil in place, the children of Israel could not see the temporary nature of this covenant. As a result, they believed that God would always bless his children when they obeyed the Ten Commandments and curse them when they didn't. We are transformed as we begin to see behind this veil. It is critical for us to understand that God never intended for the Mosaic Covenant to be a permanent reflection of his relational ground rules. This is why the glory on Moses' face faded. In fact, becoming a Christian means that we are no longer veiled with respect to the passing glory of the Old Covenant. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Becoming a Christian brings us out from under the jurisdiction of the Old Covenant. We cannot understand Jesus' death without understanding it as a change in covenants. At the cross, God repealed the old covenant and replaced it with the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The problem is that the veil that prevented Moses' initial audience from perceiving that his old covenant directives would one day disappear continues to cloak present-day readers of the Bible. Even to this day, 
when Moses is read. A veil covers their hearts. It is hard for us to come to grips with the fact that God no longer directs our attention toward the Ten Commandments as the means by which we draw near to him. It is natural for us to believe that we move towards God when we obey these commandments and move away from him when we don't. This, however, is the kind of thinking the Spirit of God seeks to purge from our minds. The role of the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood. God's Spirit is frequently associated with conviction of sins, supernatural experiences, or subjective impressions. The basic role of the Spirit, though, is to promote holiness. He increases our capacity to be responsive to God, as I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. So, how does the Holy Spirit make us holy? The Spirit of God changes us by directing our attention away from the fading glory of the old covenant towards the ever-increasing glory of the new covenant. God's Spirit promotes freedom by leading us out from under the jurisdiction of all covenant law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The law is spiritually destructive. This impact does not reflect a problem with the commandments. The problem is that the law produces fear, and fear cannot produce love. This is why God commissions his spirit to remove the law as a basis for his acceptance. By reducing our fear of God, the Holy Spirit increases our love for God and one another. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. We are transformed into his likeness by the spirit as we look away from the fading glory of the old covenant and look toward the lasting, unconditional glory of the new covenant. That should be the fading, conditional glory of the old covenant and the lasting, unconditional glory of the new. What can I do about it? I need to live by the Spirit to live with the war within. And to live by the Spirit is to live in the light of the new covenant. It strikes me. Paul was secure enough to admit the war within. He was secure enough in God to admit that his desires didn't always line up. When we aren't secure enough to admit the truth, we resort to hypocrisy. We end up pretending to be better than we are. We think we should be better than we are. We think we, should, we, think we shouldn't struggle. And when we think we shouldn't struggle, we pretend that we don't. Um, hypocrisy is what we do. Well, sometimes we resort to judgment. That if I'm dealing with this, at least I'm not dealing with that. And we compare ourselves with others. We judge ourselves and we push down, we pretend, or we push others away. Um, Paul doesn't use hypocrisy or judgment. In fact, you know what the problem is? Judgment. The fact is, God doesn't judge the war within. He doesn't condemn us for dealing with different desires. What strikes me, if God doesn't condemn us, maybe we should stop condemning ourselves. Maybe we should learn to be, or 
increase our ability to be a little more honest and to talk with him about the struggles that we face. That's what Paul did, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Um, judgment begins, judgment begets judgment, I think. In fact, there's the word for being judged by God. The word is crino, chrysis. Chrysis is being judged by God. There's two problems that Jesus pointed out that are spiritual cancers, hypocrisy and judgment. There's the judgment of God, which is chrysis. Hypocrisy is hupa chrysis. Hypocrisy, hupa is under, chrysis is judgment. When this judgment comes and we push it down under the surface, that's hypocrisy. We, tr we pretend to be better than we are. We pretend to be more holy than we are. We pretend. That's one form of dealing with this chrysis is hypocrisy. The other is diachrysis, which is we push it on somebody else. I might have a problem, but at least I'm not like you. At least I don't do that. At least I'm not like them. And so, how could we, because these are spiritually cancerous, hypocrisy, judgment, how could we deal with that? You know what I'm going to suggest? Sever this. If we don't believe we're condemned by God, Slowly but surely, we're going to stop condemning ourselves and we'll, we won't condemn others as much. It takes a long time, but that's how it works. And that's why God revokes condemnation by the Spirit's influence. The, the, the new covenant, as we'll see, is it removes judgment. Judgment begets judgment says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to be honest with him. He understands the war within. He knows that it's there. In fact, he put it in place. And when we pretend that we don't deal with contrary desires, he goes, why won't you tell me the truth? I already know what you're dealing with. And what I want you to do, I want you to learn to trust me enough to talk to me about it. What are you dealing with? Talk to me about it. This is a relationship. I'm not a master and you're not a slave. I'm your father and you're my son and daughter. And we have to have a relationship. That's why I sent the spirit of my son to remove condemnation so that you could start being honest with me about the things that you struggle with, so you don't have to deal with them alone. That's what I don't want. I don't want you to run away and tinker with yourself and gaze at your behaviors and glance at me. Gaze at me! Gaze at me and glance at your behaviors. There's all kinds of things you want to change. I know that. God says I'll know that. And you know how you're going to change them? Living by the Spirit, which is living by the new covenant. That's how the, you know what's going to happen slowly but surely? You stop condemning yourself as much. You know the inside talk that happens when we say, what an idiot you are. Ever, you ever hear that voice inside? How could anybody claim to be a Christian that does what you do? Any of you hear that voice inside? 
know what it's going to mean? You start to get serious about, no, that's not his voice. He's not calling me an idiot. He doesn't do that. He calls me a son and a daughter. Um, judgment begets judgment. Live by the Spirit is believing what, what God says is true. Like it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is he condemning you? Does he condemn you when you do this and that? Does he? He said, I've heard that the Spirit convicts me of sin. That's not the Spirit's influence. You know what the Spirit's influence is? To convict you that God is not condemning you of sin. That's what the Spirit, that's what living by the Spirit means. You're living by the new covenant. Um, judgment is the problem. Living by the Spirit is the solution. Here's what the new covenant says. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. The Spirit wants us to believe that this is how God relates to us. This is the new covenant. The old covenant didn't say this. It said you need to do the things and in order to be blessed. This is a whole different thing. And the Spirit will want us to believe this. Do you believe this? Again, we believe it and we don't. We encourage you to do this. Learn to live by the Spirit. Learn to live by the Spirit. What does that mean? Learn to live in the light of the new covenant. How can I do that? One thing you can do, practice new covenant confession. That's one thing practically that you can do when you do something wrong, whatever it is. To practice new covenant confession means that you don't just allow that voice, what an awful person you are. How could a person do a thing like that? Another part of you gets strong with it. You know what? I know that I'm not, but you know what I do know? Even though I did that thing, you're still in me and you're still with me and good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. When you do that, it's like building a faith muscle. Every time you do it, you start to move out from under the old and into the light of the new. And you know why it's important to live in the light of the new? To live with the war within, you've got to learn to live by the Spirit. The only solution. It's one of one solutions. Um, what's my problem? My desires are irreconcilable. Sin is living in me. I am weary of the war within, and I need to live with the war within. Comes judgment. What's the solution? I need to live by the Spirit in order to live with the war within. And really, those last three points are really summations of the first one. I need to control sin, not sins. And what we learned, sin is inflamed by law. And so in order to deal with sin, we have to come out from under law. I need to develop new covenant faith, covenant clarity, and practice new covenant confession. And then when you do that, you'll learn, you'll get to the place where you'll find rather than retreating from God, in your weariness, you'll pour out your heart to God and you know what you'll get in return? mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let's stand for closing prayer.
be brutally honest and reveal things that we would have seen if he didn't tell us about them, that our desires are irreconcilable, that we deal with different laws. Sin is living within us, and it's wearisome to deal with this, but you aren't you don't purpose to remove this war within. So we have to learn to live with it. And if we live by the spirit, that's how we live with the war within. Um, that's how we control sin as a power. We have to develop new covenant faith. And when we do that, we get to the place where rather than run away from you, we run towards you and we pour out our heart to you, just like Paul did. I pray we become more like him as we learn to live by the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.